The reading can be found on page 77 of the Pew Bibles or on the service sheets. It's Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 7. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Thank you very much, Penny. I asked to have the first seven verses of chapter 20 read, even though we're on the third commandment of our preach through the ten, not just because there's only one verse of the third commandment, but also, more importantly, because I thought it's worth, at the beginning of this series, to regularly remind ourselves of the context of the ten commandments. God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, I am the God who rescued you. That's how the Ten Commandments begin. Not beginning, thou shalt not, but beginning, I have already done this for you. I have already provided salvation for you. All of these Ten Commandments are read and received in the context of God's great mercy, both to Israel And reading this as Christians to us, in that he led us out of the land of slavery to sin by the cross, showing love to us who hadn't loved him and showing us mercy. In other words, we are to obey because he has shown us mercy. We're not earning his mercy by following the law, but following the law because we desire to honour him who has already loved us. And as we seek to honour him, we have no other gods but him, commandment number one. We have no idols that distract us from the worship of him, commandment number two. And now commandment number three, we do not misuse or take in vain his name. Why is the name of God so important that it merits inclusion at number three in the list of commandments? We can answer that in general and in specific. In general, names have great meaning because they convey the essence of the person. Although there may be some in society who do name, uh, whether they're pets or even their children, with little thought and little concern for the meaning, only finding out perhaps years later that there's a slightly untoward meaning connected with the name. Nonetheless, most people do apply names with the meaning in mind. And certainly in the ancient world and in the world uh, in which these words were first received uh, in Exodus by Moses, there was great meaning attached to names. 
even where names are given without much thought these days to the actual meaning of the word, they can acquire great meaning with use. So anybody referring to their wife or their husband, however great or little thought was given to the naming of that individual at their birth, as soon as that name crops up, the thoughts of their spouse uh, will suddenly flood into their mind. Certainly if I hear the name Hannah, the name of my wife, I'm suddenly thinking not just of the designation, but of everything she means to me. Likewise, God's name, which certainly he gave us with great meaning, fills us also with thoughts of him and sums up everything to do with him when we hear it. And more specifically, why God's name matters is that it's a form of revelation. It's how he makes himself known to us. Earlier in Exodus chapter 20, before, uh, in Exodus itself in chapter 3 rather, before the commandments, God introduced himself to Moses, saying, I am who I am. This is my name forever through all generations. Uh, I am who I am, that we often abbreviate in the Bible to the Lord. That is God's name, his revelation. Likewise, when he reveals to us his son, the Lord Jesus, there is revelation in that name, Jesus meaning God saves his people. So misuse of God's name is not just a misuse of everything that sums up his character, but also a misuse of his revelation of himself to us. So we can't, certainly can't say of God, oh, it's just a name. His name is more than just a designation, more than just a light thing. It has weight and glory to it. But I think God knows that we as human beings can be tempted to make light of names. So it's interesting that this commandment comes with the particular rejoinder. In verse 7, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. It's true of any of the commandments that God will not hold them guiltless who transgress them. But he specifically states that with the seventh not simply stating, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, but adding, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Just counteracting that temptation to think that, oh, it's just a name. It doesn't really matter. The Lord will hold us guiltless um, if we just occasionally misuse it. No, he won't hold us guiltless if we misuse it. Extra warning for an extra temptation to take light a commandment. How then do we take God's name in vain? I've already alluded that it is any misuse of that name or of things that pertain to or relate to that name. So the really obvious one that I'm sure we all think of when we think of the Ten Commandments is the use of God's name as a swear word or an exclamation. We'll often hear uh, the names God, Christ, Lord, Jesus used to add emphasis to a phrase or an exclamation. But there's also lots of abbreviations and corruptions of those divine names. Terms like G's, abbreviated from Jesus, or G or G whiz with the same um, derivation. Core blimey actually means God blind me. Uh, again, a corruption of God's name, a misuse of it. And I'm sure we can all work out what OMG stands for that comes up in text messages, text message language, um, to add meaning and emphasis to a phrase that people want to use. 
So those indirect misuses of God's name are still misuses. And they're easier in many ways for us to fall into because they are often corruptions of the name. I caught myself, in fact, using one such corruption of God's name just a couple of days ago. I dropped something on the floor and off the top of my head just said crumbs. Of course, I thought to myself, that probably is derived from a divine name. And sure enough, the dictionary does set out that that's a 19th century corruption of Christ. Um, Perhaps particularly with in mind the crumbs of the sacramental bread from communion. So we need great diligence in removing this sort of language from our everyday speech. That is one of the most notable and obvious things about Christians, that they don't misuse God's name. One of the things that people immediately latch onto when they meet us and interact with us. But it's not just about the mouth. It's not just about the external of the mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, says the writer of Proverbs. Cleansing our vocabulary is also about cleansing our hearts. And for that, we do need the help of God's Holy Spirit. And we need to keep in step with that spirit. It's the hearts that the prophet Isaiah had in mind when he said, This people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, taking as doctrine the commandments of men. That phrase quoted by Jesus himself in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus, who also desires not simply outward conformity, but inward transformation. Worship of Jesus is meant to be heartfelt, not in vain. Honour of him to be heartfelt from the heart, not simply on the lips. That requires inward transformation. And that inward transformation will power both those really obvious external manifestations, like swear words, removing those from our language, but also the less obvious transformations. The third commandment is one that Jesus himself extends to the less obvious in his Sermon on the Mount, saying this from Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus there extending the prohibition against using God's name or the things that pertain to God's holy name, Jerusalem, the temple, and so on, not only in swear words, but also in everyday language, common language that we might use in business transactions or diary appointments. We probably won't be regularly tempted to say things like, in Jesus' name, I will make that meeting, or I swear by heaven, I will sell the shares to you at that particular price. Uh, But that sort of temptation might occasionally come up to use God's name in everyday common discourse, even if we're not going so far as to use it as a swear word. But that in itself, that everyday usage, is still a cheapening and a taking in vain of God's name. Using the name in a futile, 
or empty or pointless or wasted way. We are prohibited in that particular explanation from Jesus in the Gospel from using his name in everyday speech, in everyday oaths, although we should be careful to remind ourselves that we um, are still permitted as Christians to use the name, the holy name, uh, in sincere and important oaths as set out in the 39th article, which is much more eloquent than I am. As we confess that vain and rash swearing is forbidden Christian men by our Lord Jesus Christ, so we judge that Christian religion does not prohibit, but that a man may swear when the magistrate requires in a cause of faith and charity, so it be done according to the prophet's teaching in justice, judgment, and truth. Thirdly, and perhaps even less obviously than those first two misuses of God's name, is anything done unholily in God's name by us as Christians? As Christians, we have the honour of bearing God's name in our very essence. We are Christians. And therefore, anything that we do as a known Christian is arguably being done in God's name as we bear that name, every word that we speak, every action that we fulfil. Are we honouring Christ's name as we bear witness in those ways in the world? In this way, the third commandment is a very extensive call to holiness, not simply about throwaway words that add spice to a sentence, but about everything we do in word and deed. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So we strive for holiness in that respect ourselves as we bear the name of Christ. But how, looking beyond, do we live in a society so suffused, so full of the misuse of God's name. Our starting point is that Christ's call is to be in the world, but not of the world. It's therefore not an option to us simply to close ourselves off, to hide away. We must be salt and light in the world, continuing to live among, to work among, and to walk alongside those who do misuse and take in vain the name of God. We are thus to be a preservative and a provocative as salters, inviting people to experience the grace of God and having done so to live in his way. It's a slightly different consideration though when we come to the mass media that we consume, whether from radio or television or the internet or other means. That's less interactive than one-to-one personal interactions in in in-person forums. We can't so easily witness our disapproval to a television programme, unless perhaps uh, one would write to them. I've got this little card here. This is my show and tell for today. Uh, It's uh, from an organisation called CARE, Christian Action Research and Education. A card they sent me probably five or six years ago, which I kept pinned up on my notice board, very helpfully, which gives me... Uh, details of how to write to lots of media organisations, BBC, Channel 5, ITV, and, and then various regulators, Acer, BBFC, uh, etc. If I wanted to object to something I was hearing on the television, 
Now, it's easy. it would be easy to completely overuse that because I could kind of uh, notice things every day that I'd like to object to from a Christian perspective. So it's important to use that sort of thing with discretion. There's a risk of Christians being seen as moralists rather than as Jesus people, those who have experienced and want to invite people to experience the grace of God. But there's also a danger of going the other direction and completely abandoning any standards and giving the impression that we don't really care what goes out on the airwaves. I spoke a couple of weeks ago from the first commandment about the danger of expecting Babylon to live as Jerusalem. In other words, expecting non-Christians to abide by Christian standards. It's unreasonable to expect that, unrealistic. And that goes as much for the media as it does for standards of marriage, which was my example two weeks ago. But there is that happy medium, I think, between uh, being moralistic and banging on about something all the time and, on the other end, completely disengaging. There's also a risk, though, of exposing ourselves to all of this media, whether your um, particular problem is lots of Netflix or Disney Plus or iPlayer or whatever else you're engaged in, of having effectively a one-sided conversation with a stranger who does use God's name in vain and has no restraint in doing so. Uh, spoke to the 9.30 congregation about this. Lots of parents there of young children who I was conscious are very aware of this problem, the risk of letting the television raise the child rather than doing so oneself. And I know that lots of them have thought carefully about what programmes, uh, what media to expose their children to. But as well as Christian parents, all Christian people need to be conscious of how the media is affecting us both explicitly and implicitly as well. How are we unconsciously being desensitised, in particular to the misuse of God's name, the misuse of the holy things that pertain to God's name as we engage in that one-sided conversation? There are very radical things that God says in these first three commandments. No other gods but me. No images that will detract from the worship of me. No misuse of my name. Totally countercultural in the the polytheistic context they were given in to people coming out of Egypt. And totally countercultural still today in a world that honours many gods in many different ways and has such flagrant and widespread misuse of God's name. Our obedience to these commandments motivated by the grace that we've been shown, the forgiveness that we've been shown in Christ. Let's pray now for his help in living that way. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for the rescue that you have given your people in the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for his holy name. Help us to honour that name in all that we say and do. And where we come across the misuse of his name, to show grace, to show that you are real to people and that you desire them to live your way. Give us wisdom in this, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
would you join with me in singing a, a closing hymn? How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. Sing together. Take a seat. I have to encourage you to turn in, in the Bibles in the pews if you're near enough to one to page 141 to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26 is the priestly blessing. And as the priesthood of all believers is a joint responsibility. I want to invite you to say these words as a prayer for each other. 
Um, you'll see verse 27 there if you have it open in front of you. That way of praying this way over the Israelites was a way of God putting his name on the Israelites, that they bear his name. And we go from here today, I trust with this prayer uttered by each other, for each other, carrying the awesome, precious name of God upon us. So can I invite you to stand, if you're able to, and we'll join in saying verses 24 to 26 as a prayer for each other. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.